0: I was going to preach tonight about how to hear the voice of God, but I'm going to stall on that and preach that in a couple of weeks, and that message is going to be really important because we're going to talk about the spiritual aspect of hearing the voice of God, but I'm going to give you some practical tools to step into hearing the voice of God. Now, I want to be careful whenever I talk about the practical because we are not a practical faith. We're a ridiculously um, supernatural faith. Do you believe that? Okay. Okay. The reason I say that is because the modern church, especially the Western church, we sometimes get caught up in practical sermons because we depend on what we can do and we don't put ourselves in the position to see what God can do. And so when we come to the prophetic, there are some practical tools that we can do to adjust ourselves so that we can better hear from the Lord. But at the end of the day, it is a supernatural thing that we believe that we can speak to an invincible God. And that same invisible God can speak to us. And so you don't want to miss that. That's going to happen in two weeks. Next week, uh, Andrew's going to be preaching from a biblical perspective how prophecy has not ceased. It's a gift of the Spirit that still exists today. I heard somebody say, well, you know, God just gave the gifts to the apostles to establish the church. I said, how do you think we're supposed to establish the church today? Through the gifts of the Spirit, and it's all about him. And so we're going to dive into the scriptures next week and just show how Paul even encourages us to move in the prophetic. But um, tonight, I kind of want to do a little bit of a part two to what I did last week. Because in the middle of worship, I just felt like um, God's about to teach us how to survive the storms. Uh, I, I, I said this last week, but we're giving up on giving up. The enemy comes to bring discouragement, but the thing about it is that he cannot destroy us. The only way that we lose is that we give up. And he keeps pressing, he keeps bringing the storms, but I'm going to teach us how to survive tonight. Take your Bibles and turn with me. Keep playing for just another second so he Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Man, you play like that, I feel anointed. Mark chapter 4, and we've been in a, and this is going to be a part of our series, we've been in a series titled, That's What He Said. If you are behind on any of those messages, you can catch them up on our podcast, catch it up on our YouTube. The last sessions that we were doing, we were talking about the biblical word of God, the written word of God, how it's inerrant, how we need to be preaching it, why we can trust the word of God. And then last week, we transitioned into talking about the prophetic word of the Lord, And so turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Verse 35. If you got it, say amen. All right. I'm going to read Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, and he is, that's Jesus. Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat. Are we are we good here, Miguel, with the mic? Okay. Okay. Um, Verse 36, now when they had left the multitudes, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Can't we be dramatic in the middle of a storm? They've been walking with Jesus, knowing his heart for a long time now, and they still don't know that he cares for them in the middle of the storm. Verse 39. Then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Shalom, meaning peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Last verse, verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the winds and the seas obey him? There we go. Now, keep your finger there. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Y'all love the word, don't you? If you love the word, say yes. Okay, I'm in the right church. All right. Hebrews, not she Sorry, I know all the Gen Zers, they're going to cancel me later. (laughs) All right, Hebrews, we're just going to read one verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse three. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. God, we thank you for your word. You don't need to bless it. It's already blessed. What I need you to do, God, is anoint me to preach it, anoint your people to receive it so that at the end of the day, Lord, you would be glorified, your people would be edified, and that old devil would be terrified. God, and we thank you that at the end of the day, you're going to get the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. I want to preach to you from the subject that's what he said. We're a talking church. We're a noisy church. So find somebody who's real close to you. Just point your finger at him and say that's what he said. That's what he said. I want to encourage you. You know, we're going to be stirring and God's growing our church. We have many who still are watching on live stream, and I kind of want to update you. We won't be live streaming in the morning anymore. Uh, part of that is financial. We're pulling back. But the other part is we actually feel a sense that we're supposed to focus on what God's doing in our actual meetings. And those who are hungry are going to come. And we believe God's going to fill the house and do some crazy stuff. So I want you guys to keep inviting folks, keep bringing folks out, God's stirring stuff up. I'm going to preach from the subject. That's what he said. Have you ever noticed that God sucks at giving directions? I don't know if you're old enough for this, but back in the day before Waze and Google Maps, we had something called MapQuest. MapQuest, uh, yeah, all the older folks, we know what MapQuest. The other people are like, what app is that? MapQuest was the worst GPS system in the entire world. This was before we had Wi-Fi on our phones, and you would actually have to print stuff out. Okay, Gen Z's printers are the... No, but you know what I'm talking about. Some of you remember you'd have to, you know, you're going to Sacramento or something, some place, and you'd have to print out the direction and you take a look over it so you kind of get an overview. But how many of us, like me, you would realize somewhere along the line MapQuest forgot something? They forgot a turn, they forgot a sign, and there would always be this kind of confusion. And I've kind of find out, found out that God sometimes misses some pieces in giving us instructions, I know you're a person of faith, and you've never doubted God, and you've heard him clearly, and you've never wavered in your faith. But there have been times where God has spoken to me to do something, and he told me where I'm going, but he forgot to warn me that between A and between C, there's a B. There's some bad stuff that we've got to go through. And quite often, it seems discouraging when we're in the middle of it, because if we could be prepared, then we could face it differently. But what I found out in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that there is only one thing that causes God to be pleased. That one thing is faith. Everybody say faith. faith. Say it like you're a Pentecostal. Say faith. faith. The thing about faith is that faith is not hope. It's not an inspirational feeling. When you study faith, and we preached about this a couple of years ago, faith is the, actionized, uh, 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 the actionization of hope. Let me break that down for you. A lot of times we get faith and hope mixed up. Hope is the expectation that something good's gonna happen. It's what David said in Psalms 27 when he said, I would have despaired and been discouraged except I saw the Lord and the land of the living. And what David was telling us in the Psalms was, I almost gave up, but I had a hope based off of what I saw, that, and that encouraged me to continue. How is that different from faith? Because faith is not just a hopeful expectation. It's, I feel like preaching, so I'm going to slow down and I'm going to try to catch up with everybody. But I, I might run out this door because I'm, I'm just sick of the devil. I'm sick of the devil's discouragement. I'm sick of um, uh, uh, the wavering of faith that comes because we, we get discouraged. And I believe that God wants to make us consistent in faith. So what is faith? Hope is the expectation that something good's going to happen. Faith is when you prove it. I hope that God's going to bring a financial breakthrough. But when I tithe, I have faith that he's going to bring a financial breakthrough. Because I put my money where my mouth is. A lot of people say that they have faith, and they don't have faith, they have hope. Where am I getting this from? Hebrews 11, chapter chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let's go over that again. It is the substance. You and I know what substance is. It is tangible. It is the substance of things hoped for. So it says, I'm hoping for something. Show me the substance of what I'm hoping for. Not only is that uh, the substance, it then says it's the evidence of things not seen. That if I believe something, I'm going to prove it by something tangible in my life. That's the difference between hope and faith. That hope says, I expect a better day. Faith says, here, I'm proving it. The reason I lay that at our foundation is because quite often when we talk about our faith, we talk about our faith for a situation. We say we have faith for healing. We have faith for deliverance. We have faith for breakthrough, for God to open up that business. And this is why we get disappointed. Because our faith was never supposed to be in answered prayers. Come on, Colossians, mess up your theology tonight. We put our faith in the answered prayers instead of the God who answers prayers. What's the difference? Sometimes, because God is not your prostitute, He doesn't have to do whatever you want Him to do because you lay down 10% of your income. He is God and He's sovereign. The Bible says the Spirit wills as He wills. So, so why am I saying that? The thing that moves God is faith. Because when you tangibly put forth your hope about God, all of a sudden choose to say that I trust your character. All this to say I'm moving my faith out from healing, watch this, and I'm putting my faith in the healer. Why? Because some of us can get healing and miss the healer. The goal is not healing. The goal is the healer. But you can't get the healer without getting the healing. He comes with a package deal. Here's why I want to keep putting my faith in God, because God, come back, Dale, don't preach yet. Watch your tone. God has never been inconsistent. Not once. Every word that he's ever spoken has come to pass. The reason we get disappointed is because we have our faith in hopes for something, but we're not promised that God's going to come through with whatever it is that we're hoping for. And so when we put our faith for healing and we don't get healed, we walk in disillusionment and we lose our faith in God. Is this making sense? And the whole thing of what God is trying to do is say, don't put your faith in stuff, put your faith in me because I'm consistent. I am more faithful the rising of the sun. God is so bad that when he made a promise to Joshua that you would end the war by the day and you would have the victory, the sun going down because it thought it was in control, and God took his hand, held the sun, and I he wanted to, to the sun, that you're not more faithful than me, I'm going to hold you up and show that even you're inconsistent, but I'm not. <sighs> y'all going to make me work tonight that God holds the sun in his hand for Joshua to prove that he's even going to outlast the sun. <laughs> God's trying to prove to us that if we put our faith and our hope in him, we'll never be let down. I have walked through some seasons where God didn't answer prayers, and I still had joy. And people said, how? Because I said my faith wasn't in the stuff. It was in him, the God of the stuff. And there is a constant push and pull that God takes. You wonder why God takes you through the stuff that you go through. I'm going to show you this in the scriptures in Mark chapter 4. He's trying to get you to trust him. He's trying to get you to trust him where you can't even trace him. He's trying to get you to have faith in him so that when you don't know what is happening and you don't know what's going on, that at the sound of his voice, because you trust him, you don't need to understand. The problem with some of us is that we can't follow God because we want to understand it all. We want control. And God says the only thing that blesses me, that pleases me is faith. And when you walk in faith, you cannot control because you don't know what's going to happen. And God will constantly put you in situations, one, to prove to you that you've misplaced your faith. And then he'll put you in situations to prove that he's trustworthy of all of your faith. That brings us to Mark chapter 4. And I don't have any notes today because the Lord gave me this message in the middle of worship. But in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gets on a boat. And if you know anything about the scriptures, that's just a bad idea to get on a boat with Jesus. It just never works out. Every time there's a storm, some crazy fish that try to take down the boat, it's just never a good idea. But the disciples follow Jesus. And in Mark chapter 4, we read Jesus gives them what I want to call a prophetic word. It is prophetic instruction. He says to the disciples, we've got ministry on the other side, so let's go to the other side. And then Jesus goes to sleep because when you really trust his word, you can rest. I say that because I was in a few Bible college classes. Pastor uh, Drew, I'm not as smart as you, and I don't have as much money, but I could afford a couple of credits and units, and I was talking, and in one of the classes in systematic theology, we were going over Mark chapter 4, and the professor, who is paid more than I am, who is smarter than I am, uh, says the dumbest statement that I've ever heard. He says that Jesus was sleeping because he was tired. Slap you myself. Now, I understand that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man, and that's important for us to understand in our Christology because he is not 50% God and 50% man. He is 100% God and 100% man because in scriptures, we don't add, we multiply. This is why he says one can put a 1,000 to flight and two, 10,000 to flight. Why? Because he's not moving in addition. He's moving in multiplication. Are you still with me? Jesus says to the disciples, "Let's go to the other side." Then he goes to the bottom of the boat and he goes to sleep. And somewhere between point A and point B, there was a word that or a warning that was missed from Jesus. He doesn't tell them that before you get to the other side, a storm is going to break out. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Why is that important for us to understand in our Christology? Because he has to be 100% man so that he can be afflicted like we were afflicted. The Bible says that he was tempted like we were all tempted. You've not gone through anything that Jesus hasn't gone through. He came and wrapped divinity in humanity so that he can know what you experience because he is the God who, who wants to empathize with what you're going through. But I am grateful. Sarah, that we don't just have a God who can empathize. Because I get it. I want to cry with you. I want to feel what you're going through. We don't have a God who's just 100% man. he is also 100% God. He's 100% man in that he can feel my pain and relate to what I'm going through. But then he's 100% God that he can do something about it. So we have to understand that he is neither missing manhood or Godhood. He is 100% of all of it together. And maybe when we get to heaven we'll fully understand it. Because I know our brains can't wrap around it. But what I do understand is that in his humanity, Jesus is on the boat experiencing the same thing that the disciples are experiencing. But the disciples are wrestling, and Jesus is resting. Why? Because Jesus understands his own divinity. The Bible says that God is the author, watch this, and the finisher of our faith. That God is not going to leave us hanging in the middle of the story. That it may feel like we're at the end of the chapter, but God's pen is still writing in your life. Because at the end of the day, he's going to make sure whatever he spoke for your life, he's going to finish it. So I present to you that Jesus, watch this, is not sleeping because he's tired. I believe, Justin, that Jesus is sleeping because he's confident. If you can't rest, if you find yourself up late at night, I want to ask you, are you trusting his word? Your ability or inability to rest shows me where your faith is. Because if you can place your faith in Christ, in Christ, your faith will be as consistent as he is. But we are here. I get it. I'm not giving us a hard time because I'm with you. I have some days where my faith wavers and I wonder, God, is what you said really going to come true? And the disciples in the middle of the storm, like many of us, must have forgotten what Jesus said, because Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side. And I get it. he missed out on a couple of instructions, didn't tell him about the storm. But I want to ask you, are you holding on to the word that God spoke to you in the middle of your storm? See, that's what this storm is all about. COVID didn't come to kill a bunch of folks, I I think I got a lot of opinions about COVID and what God's doing in the spirit, but I think one of the things God proved to us is that maybe we're not as consistent in our faith as we thought we were. Maybe our faith has been placed in church, in people, in pastors, in sermons, in Twitter quotes, and we haven't placed our faith really in him, and we got a challenge as a nation, a storm as a nation, and when you go through a storm, it proves where your faith is. The disciples are not amateur fishermen, So he, These are professionals because you remember Jesus calls them and they were business owners. Peter dropped his business, the Bible says. He was a business owner. These were professional fishermen. They are not amateur. They are not me and you. They have been through a storm before. So when the disciples tell me that the storm is getting ready to kill them, I believe them. I don't think that they're being dramatic. One year, a little over 10 years ago, I was on tour. We were working with the underground church in China, and we were doing some stuff with the self-churches there. And we went from uh, China to Macau, and we were going to do some ministry. But in order to travel that way, we had to go through a boat. Now, I'm black. In case you're not that prophetic, I want to let you in on the secret. I am black. I've been black my whole life, and I've got to say that because of the whole Michael Jackson situation. (laughs) All right, I'm Come back! Don't distract me. We don't really do boats and water like that. I mean, ever since we came here to this nation, it just boats and waters have not worked out for us. Come on, you're only uncomfortable if you're racist. Calm down. Um, your pastor's black. That's different for a lot of y'all. Just get used to it. Um, but I'm a heavy sleeper, especially back then. I'm anointed to sleep. When I actually get to sleep, um. I snore in all the works, like, I just feel fo- sorry for whoever my future wife is. Um, if she's watching, God bless you. Um, but we were on this thing, and and Pastor Drew, it was not raining. The, nice, the weather was outside. It was fine. Our boat was probably bigger than what the disciples would have had. Um, but we were going, and as we get on some of these rocky waves and different stuff, all of a sudden I was awakened from my sleep, and I forgot where I was, and I'm freaking out, like, what's going on? And I felt like we were about to die. No rain. No storm, just a couple of bumps on the waves, right? But, but listen, I am Peter, and I ain't walking on water, so I don't really trust the situation. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, oh, Lord, freaking! Out. I say that because how dramatic must this have been for the disciples, that the boat was rocking so hard that they thought it was getting ready to capsize. And I want to talk to you, because we think faith is denying the reality of our situation. And it's okay to go through stuff. It's okay to admit that you're tired. Most of us can't get breakthrough because before breakthrough comes, honesty must proceed. And many of us are not honest enough to get our breakthrough. We don't want to admit because we've been taught that faith is denying the reality of what we're going through. No, no, that's not what faith is. Faith is just accepting that there is a greater reality. That, yes, the doctor says I have cancer, but I know the God who formed and shaped the cells in my body. There is a greater reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bills are due and I don't have any food and I don't know how I'm going to pay it. But my Bible says that he would make me the head and not the tail, a lender to nations. Borrow, I heard the scripture say that I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen their seed baking bread. What am I saying? Yes, your reality is true. But faith says in spite of that reality, I see a greater reality. And the disciples are faced with two realities. They're faced with the storm and they're faced with the word. Which one are you going to believe? Because what did Jesus say? He said, let's go to the other side. Nothing in there said we're going to die. He said, as a matter of fact, we're going to finish this race and go to the other side. But have you ever, have, maybe it's just me, John, and I'll, I'll just tell my business. But have you ever forgotten God's word in the middle of your storm? Oh, and when you got the prophecy, you were crying, wrapped all across the altar. We couldn't pin you down. The ushers were trying to figure out, do we hold her, clutch her, what? And, and now you're on Monday and the job is getting on. You want to kill your co-workers, but you need the money to pay for the kids that you want to slap all day, and you're struggling. All the moms say amen. <laughs> you clap too hard, Lisa. <laughs> Every now and then, God will teach you these lessons, and like a good teacher, he'll give you a test. And I know this moment that Jesus is trying to teach them something because the disciples when they go to wake him up at the bottom of the boat and some of us need to understand this that breakthrough comes when you go low Breakthrough's is not up there it's it's really down here some of us i I watch even in our worship and we're not humble enough to really worship like we need to yet Y'all don't like me, but I'm going to preach it anyway. We collected the offering. Here we go. Um, See, some of us are not even humble enough. See, the woman with the issue of blood, she would not have gotten her breakthrough if she hadn't gone low enough to touch the hymn. Some of us are too proud for breakthrough. We're too proud to admit that we need Jesus. Because we have our upper echelons of education and academia, and we have come through the ranks, and we deserve what we deserve. But every now and then, God's going to put you through some stuff where you got to go low. He's going to put you through some stuff where you just got to forget who's in the room and let the snot go across your face and the tears run down your eyes and just give him what he deserves. And that is where breakthrough is, friend. And the disciples go down to the bottom of the boat. And this is how I know God is trying to teach them a lesson because they don't call him master. They don't call him ruler. They don't call him Messiah. What do they call him? They say, teacher. Do you not Care, And I know that you can't admit this because you speak a thousand syllables in tongues per minute. But I want to admit that I've had some days where it felt like God's silence was there because he didn't care. Since you can't admit it and I'm your pastor, I'll tell the truth. There have been some days, even in this church process, where I'm saying, God, I'm giving everything I can. And it seems like nothing's going right and this is going wrong and that's not right. And I'm just going, God, I'm doing your business. Do you care about mine? I'm paying my tithes. Why? Are my finances looking like this? God, I pray, right? Why are my kids in this condition? God, I'm trusting you. I'm fasting and witnessing and sharing my faith. Why is my situation, my marriage on the end of divorce? What? What? Have you ever, have you ever been in the middle of the storm and had to admit that I can't fix this one? The disciples go low enough to talk to Jesus and they say, teacher, do you not care? Because sometimes it feels like God's silence is intentional to cause us pain. But sometimes you've got to understand that when the teacher is testing, they don't talk. (laughs) I'm going to mess you up tonight. I don't know if you'll admit this, but I've gone through some stuff fully where in the middle of my storm, I couldn't pay for a prophecy. (laughs) I open up the word and nothing speaks to me. I've had some days where I've said, Lord, I'm praying, and it feels like my prayers are hitting the top of the ceiling, and I'm wondering what in heaven or hell is going on. I've been there where I've had to wonder, God, do you even care about what I'm going through? The Bible says that Jesus, almost likingly to ignore them, gets up and doesn't even talk to them yet. He talks to the storm. I'm so glad that God does not get insecure at my lack of faith. See, we're so wishy-washy. We're in one day and we're out one day. But I am grateful that God can see my doubt and help my unbelief. See, you felt like you're, not, you're less of a Christian, that you're, you're not as anointed because you have some doubts. I want to tell you that your doubts are not a sign that you have a lack of faith. It's a sign that you're human. So go ahead and cry. Just don't give up. Go ahead with tears down your eyes. Just make sure you keep cutting. Y'all don't know about the hood. We know how to cry and fight at the same time. T- Come on, ladies. I got some folks from the hood. You know how to take off the earrings, put the Vaseline on. See, some of you are too cute for your breakthrough. You're too cute to get it, and you're just, oh, this is how I fight my battle. That's not how you fight a battle. This. No, this is how you're insecure and you're wondering if other people hear you. And no wonder doing the same thing gets you the same results. I know it sounds like I'm being harsh, but I'm trying to get breakthrough in your life because you've got to go low. And Jesus gets up, and I'm grateful that he takes care of my storm. And I want to warn some of you, you're in the way of your miracle. Some of you are, are trying to work it out, and God's like, I'll wait. You done dating around? Because if you stop for a couple of years, I'll show you your husband. It's real quiet in this Pentecostal church. Let me talk to the camera for a second since I lost my crowd. Some of you are in the way of your own blessing. And God's saying, "Will you get out of the way so I can handle the storm. I'm going to deal with you in a minute. But let me handle the storm. Jesus begins to speak to the storm and says, shalom. And I don't have enough time to dive into here. But shalom doesn't just mean peace. It means everything that was missing has to come back. This is why the Bible says that when the enemy is caught, he has to pay back seven times. And I want to warn somebody that's been through a season and you feel like you lost something. In the kingdom, no matter what you go through, nothing will be lost. No, no, no. Hear me. Hear me tonight. Nothing that you have ever been through will ever be lost. One of the things I've stopped saying is that um, God calls the unqualified. And I don't find that to be true anymore. And I know we can look at scripture and say, man, he calls his disciples, he calls all these other guys. Yeah, 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 but they had something to work with. A lot of us like to say, well, well, Moses, you know, he wasn't qualified. What do you mean? He was raised in the palace. He had the education of the Egyptians. He knew the protocol of the house. Yeah, yeah, he was a slave, but he was also a prince. And he was raised in that house so that he would be prepared to be able to confront Pharaoh in the day of freedom. Are you catching what I'm saying? Now Moses didn't know that that was what God was preparing him for when his mother put him in the basket and rolled him down the river. It just felt like abandonment. How can God even use my season? I promise you, you're going through stuff and you're wondering what is God doing? You'll know in a little while if you just learn how to wait on him. Nothing you've been through will ever be wasted. I say that because God is trying to do something in the storm. He's trying to teach the disciples something. He's trying to teach them the power of the prophetic. And here's where I land tonight. Because many of us think that the prophetic is predictive, but I want to present to you that the prophetic is not predictive. <laughs> what the weatherman does, that's called prediction. What's the difference between the predictive and the, prof- the prophetic? I'm so glad you asked. I had a friend who was a weather woman down in San Diego. And Justin, I wanted to, because I don't know how weather works. I just asked her, I said, how do you know how to predict the weather? Because y'all get on my nerves. <laughs> y'all, come on. Look, come here. Look at me. Look at me. You've all been there where the weatherman tells you it's going to be nice and sunny, and you wear your Daisy Dukes and your flip-flops, and you get outside, and it's rain everywhere. Ladies. Okay. And so, for me, I cannot associate the prophetic with the predictive, because the predictive is too uh, flexible in whether it will come through or not. Watch this. Let's, let's help her out, Lisa. Let's help Denise out back there. Sorry, we, we're a new church. We're kind of messy all over the place. But we love Jesus. Well, if the prophetic is not predictive, what is the prophetic? My friend said to me, this is how we predict the weather. She says, I have an education, I have an understanding of how meteorology works. And so I go into a city like San Diego and I look at the past weather conditions, I look at the current weather conditions, I take my understanding, wrap all that together, and I'm able to predict to you a future. Let me say that one more time. With my education and my understanding, I come into a region like San Diego or like Hayward, I look at the past weather conditions, I look at the present weather conditions, I take my understanding of weather, wrap that all together, and I'm able to predict to you a future. And I said, ah. That's why y'all are off so often. Here's the difference between the prophetic and the predictive. In predicting the weather, you have to have a past understanding, and God doesn't care anything about your past. (laughs) And then she said you've got to take a condition of how it is right now, and here's the thing. God will speak to you in desolate places. Have you ever had God tell you that you're going to start a business and you can't even spell capital? It's almost like, God, I, I heard what you just said, but have you seen my bank account? Before we planted this church, we had about300 dollars, 500 dollars in the bank account, and God's saying, "No, I don't want you to stop, I don't want you to pause. I want you to keep planting." and you go, "Come here Jesus, closer, come here. Um, I-, I get it and everything, but you obviously <laughs> haven't taken inventory. <laughs> um, we've got to pay people in two weeks, and we have 300, and um, we live in the Bay Area. You can't even get dinner for 300 dollars. Somebody said he ain't lying. (laughs) And I'm going. and, And here is the challenge. God, do you see what I'm going through? Yeah. I'm just over it. God doesn't care about your past. He cares less about your present because he sees you in the future and you look a whole lot better than you look right now. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about your current condition. What's the third thing, third element my friend told me? Understanding. What did he say about understanding? As a matter of fact, don't lean on your understanding. But in all of your ways, just all you have to do, Connor, is just acknowledge me. And I'll direct every path that you go through. Don't need your past. Don't need your present. Doesn't need your understanding in order to prophesy to you. Then pass it Okay, come on. You're teasing us now. If the prophetic is not predictive, what is it? Watch this. The Bible says in Hebrews, the scripture we read, chapter 11, that the worlds, Justin, were formed by the words of God. When I was in Israel and I was talking to a rabbi, he said Hebrews believe that it's almost as when God said, let there be light. By the time he got to it, his tongue formed light. When he said, let there be the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and a fine black man, he created me, you know, just like that. And he spoke it into existence. And it was almost as if his words were formed by his tongue. That's the visualization. Ah, no wonder his word can't return board. Because according to the law of physics, a created thing can't be uncreated. It can be modified. This might be too heavy for a Sunday. My kids, watch this. A creative thing cannot be uncreated. It can only be modified. This is why I'm not nervous at what the devil does because he can't create. He has no creative ability. Only God has creative ability. All the devil can do is manipulate the very things that God's already created. That's why I know no weapon formed against me. I got two Bible readers. But not only that, it says his word won't turn to him void because a creative thing can be modified, but it can't be uncreated. This is why the scripture says that God cannot lie. It's not that he has inability because in and of himself, he is God altogether. The problem is, he speaks a thing, even if it wasn't true, it became true by the time he speaks it. The reason you've never seen a pink polka dotted elephant is because he said, never said, let there be a pink polka dotted elephant. If he said, let there be, by the time he got to elephant, there would be a pink polka dotted elephant because he has to create by the speaking of his word. This is why in the beginning of time, stay with me, in Genesis chapter 1, when he creates the world, he doesn't even touch it. He just speaks it into existence in the middle of chaos, in the middle of darkness, with nothing to work with. And that gives me hope that God speaks in my dark chasms. I look around at my canvas and say, God, what do you have to work with? And God says, nothing exactly. Because he has the creative power to give you what you need just by very speaking, uh, b- by the very speaking of his word. I'm almost done. So he can't uncreate. He can only create. This is why his word can't return to him void. This is why he can't lie. Because whatever he says has to come to pass. And this gives me understanding that the prophetic is not predictive. It is creative. That when God speaks a thing in his sovereignty, he is creating a thing. Watch this. So when he says to the disciples, let's go to the other side, we hear instructions when we should have heard prophecy. See, you think the Bible is just a bunch of words to inspire you. It's actually filled with prophecy. (laughs) The reason we try to get you into the word and memorizing scripture is not just so that you can have a knowledge of theology. We want you to know where God's going, what he's creating what you don't have to succumb to in life, that your darkness doesn't scare him because he creates beautiful things in dark places. Let's go to the other side. And in between this side and that side, a storm arises because a storm doesn't come to scare you. It comes to challenge the word over your life. Whose report? Are you going to believe? God tells the children of Israel, I want you to go into the land and I want you to take it. What the children of Israel heard was, go check it out. (laughs) God didn't tell them to go spy out the land. And isn't that what we do? God gives us a prophetic word. He puts an impression on our heart. And what do we start doing? Seeing if we have enough finances to obey God. And that's where we lose heart because you never have enough finances to obey God. Do I have enough connections to obey God? Baby, your network's not as strong as his. He never told you to spy out the land. He said, take it. But when you don't hold on to the word of the Lord, something's going to challenge the word of the Lord. The Bible says that they took 12 men of honor and they spied out the land and when they came back there were two with a good report who said we can take the land and there were 10 that says that we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes let me ask you this look at me for a second what were the two who had a positive report what were their names joshua and caleb what were the names of the 10 that came back with a negative report i'll wait you know why because nobody l- remembers doubtless losers Some of us want to make history, but we don't want to challenge. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. I didn't tell you to check out what you can do and who you are and your stature and space that I told you to go to. I just told you to take the land. What has God t- told you to take? And instead of taking and trusting his word, you're taking inventory. Well, I know what God told me, but what are my parents going to say? That wasn't part of the word. I say this because I think quite often in the middle of the storm, we forget God's word. We forget his promises, and here's why the enemy does that. Because he knows that God's word is his character. For those of you who were in the Bible study with uh, Andrew, we learned that in John chapter one, verse one, when it says that the word became flesh, that word there is not just scriptural or logos word. What it represents is the essence that when it says the word became flesh, it's talking about the essence of God was was made into flesh. What it's saying there is that you cannot detach his word from his character. And that trusting his word, you come to trust his nature. And trusting his nature, you learn how to trust his word. Can I ask you a question? Are you seeing God rightly? Because if you see God the way that he truly is, No storm in hell will scare you. Stand with me. There's one fear that's legal in the kingdom. Calvin, there's one fear that's legal in the kingdom. One fear, Pastor Drew, and it's the fear of the Lord. But wait, in the other scripture, he told us that fear was a bad thing. (laughs) So is fear a good thing or is it a bad thing? Fear is a bad thing if it's applied to anything but God. Why? A few, probably a decade, a little over a decade ago, there was this movement to try to soften the word fear because we didn't like it. And so, you know, fear doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It just means to reverence him and respect him. And I believe that's part of it. But have you read the scriptures where angels showed up and people thought they were going to die? How much more so the God of the angels? Here's why you're only allowed to fear the Lord. Because fearing the Lord puts everything else into perspective. I had talked some crap in elementary school. I know that's hard to believe. And this guy was going to kick my butt. And I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover of Foley. <laughs> Foley's back there, like, we know Pastor Dale, we know. <laughs> And so uh, this is old school. Y'all have bullying now, and it's online. We used to have real bullying. I'm (laughs) going to get in trouble so much today. Um, But this guy came to me, and he said, I'm going to bless you. (laughs) You find your own words. And he taunted me the whole day. And I knew he was going to kick my butt because he got on my bus, and his bus wasn't the same as my bus. And so my house was about three houses up from the corner where I got dropped off at. And so I had it planned in my head. I was a lot thinner. I was, uh, I'm like twice the man I used to be (laughs) physically. Somebody said, amen. (laughs) Connor, if that was you, i am see you afterwards. Um, But I had it in my head. I'm gonna race upstairs. I didn't have a key to the house, but I knew if I could ring the doorbell, my grandmother would come and then I would be safe and I could get in the house. And that's a whole word I won't preach, but there's safety in the house. You take that home. And so I race (laughs) up the stairs. And I'm breathing, ringing the doorbell, and I hear the bully right behind me. And we had stairs that kind of curved up to our house, and I get to the top of the stairs, and then I hear the bully going, Yeah, what's up? And I look back at him. I'm ringing the doorbell, I'm scared, and I'm facing the door. So, so, because I'm a punk. If you hit me, at least I won't see it coming. Some of y'all are punks too, don't laugh. And I, then I turn around and put my back to the door, and I'm looking face to face with the bully. And he's looking at me, and out of nowhere, his eyes change. They get real big, and I hear a voice behind me, do we have a problem? And I look behind, and it's my big sister and my, big, my, my grandmother, and I look back and I go, yeah, do we have a problem? My voice hadn't dropped yet, yeah. And he looked at me, and he said, no, 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 we don't, we don't, we don't have a problem. Because there was a greater fear, and the greater fear puts away the lesser fear. Some of you are afraid of losing your job because you haven't seen God rightly. Some of you are afraid of losing your family, but have you seen God rightly? Whatever you're afraid of, the reason it's illegal is because when you put that fear in front of the fear of the Lord, it will not stand because God is an all-consuming fire. And I say this because Many of us are going through a storm, and the reason I'm trying to get you in this series to remember what he said, to screw it up. I'm not just preaching so that you'll be inspired from Sunday to Sunday. I'm teaching you this is how I survive, holding on to the word of the Lord. COVID hits, knocks out $250,000 of our budget, but I'm holding on to the word of the Lord because I've seen it move. So two weeks before we're going to plant, Pastor Drew, we got $300 in a bank account. I get a phone call from a pastor who writes us a check for $50,000. Maybe you're not clapping because you're jealous. I said $50,000. Oh, Pastor, I just see that all the time. That's just not that impressive. Listen, was I moved? I can promise you from the bottom of my heart, there was not a doubt in my mind that God would come through. I didn't think he would come through on time because God is either black or Pentecostal. He's never on time. But why would he be on time when he doesn't even live in time? And I say this because God is not surprised by your storm. He's going to handle your storm. The goal for you is to hold on to what did he say? I know it was 13 years ago, but when Joseph got the dream, it was 13 years before it got fulfilled. What did he say? The storm is trying to cancel out the word over your life because it doesn't want you to trust the character of God. But you can trust his word because his promises are yes and amen.